0: Well, here we are, second week of Advent anticipating Christmas. Last week I tried to show a bit of Handel's Messiah, but I didn't introduce it very well, and so you guys really didn't know what to expect, and I I was a little impatient there, so I apologize for that. I do want us to understand, who is this baby? Uh, What is he all about? I mean, everyone loves... Jesus, little baby Jesus, and of course, a New Life, we love babies. We're really blessed to have a lot of babies, and, and this is a, a fertile place, and we're thankful for that, you know, and, and so everyone loves the, the baby Jesus, but, but who is this baby? And we tried to talk about that last week. I attempted to say, well, Isaiah prophesied that this child would come, this baby would be born, and that he would be the wonderful counselor of the mighty God, the everlasting father of the Prince of Peace, which is like, well, that's a lot of titles to, to, to heap upon a baby. And, and maybe some of you watching online or those of you maybe even here this morning are like, yeah, we know all about the baby Jesus, but as we read the Bible, we discover that, that it tells us a little more about him than just the baby in the manger. There's more to Jesus than that. And today we're going to let the uh, Apostle John give us his picture of Jesus, you know. And, and some of us, when it comes to Jesus, you know, we, we have different ideas and One little guy, you know, he wanted a bike for Christmas, and his mom's like, well, we don't have any money for a bike, so you're gonna have to go ask the baby Jesus for a bike. And so he gets the paper out and he starts writing a letter. You know, dear baby Jesus, I've been good all year, so would you give me a bike? And then he, you know, he looks at it and he's like realizing, well, that's not very true. And if Jesus, you know, is is God's son, he's going to know that he's lying. So he crunches that up and he's like, you know, dear Jesus, I, I've been good all week. You know, could you give me a bike? You know, and and then he realizes, well, no, actually, you know, I, I haven't been good all week. So he crunches that one up and he's, like, dear Jesus, I'll, I'll be good for a whole year, if you know, or, or at least for three days if you give me a bike. And he's like, I can't do that. And he he goes outside and he's just wondering, and what do I do? What do I do? He walks by his neighbor's house and there it's like a little nativity there and and so he's oh jumps over the fence grabs Mary comes back and shoves her in his closet cups some clothes on it and then he gets his paper and he writes dear Jesus if you want your mother back you better give me a bike (laughs) 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 but there's so much more to Jesus than that in John 1 14, and this is where we're just going to land today. This is the verse. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I took a class in my second year Bible college on John. It was an 8 a.m. class, which for me and my, you know, late teen, early 20 years, 8 a.m. classes were always a write-off. It doesn't matter if, you know, Chuck Swindoll or your favorite preacher taught it. it I just, it was just, I couldn't physically, mentally get around. And I, but I do remember, we memorized this verse. Uh, it was one of those classes that I, I fell asleep in. You know, I remember waking up and everyone's looking at me and the prof's looking at me and I'm just like, I'm just waiting for you to get into the text, I said, you know, and he's, you know, he was going on and on. And, but, you know, here, I just, I remember this because it just stood out. The Word became flesh. Dwelt among us. Well, what is he talking about here? Let's just walk through the verse. You see, it starts with the word. In the Greek idea, uh, in the first century, and Philo, who was this uh, Jewish scholar from Alexandria, wrote about this concept called the word which was like the divine cause of the universe, this cosmic power that, that undergirded everything that is and was and will be. And somehow God and, and Jesus kind of had this, this, this idea. And if you're a Star Wars fan, you'd understand. He called it the force, right? The force is with you, and the force enables you to, to win over evil and all these things. And so there was all these ideas out there. I was reading yesterday... Um, apparently there's this new movement where, I think it's called manifesting, where you just cry out to the universe. You know, scream out, and then, and then somehow the universe is going to help you in your time of need. I sort of this attempt to sort of like find the, the hidden power out there, the hidden mystery. And, and so even the ancients understood that there are cosmic forces at play here. And then John, the apostle, the guy who spent three years with Jesus, uh, the man who, who was in, in closest Friendship with him and the inner three there. He says, "Let me tell you about Jesus. When, when we talk about the word and divine power and cosmic forces, like like he is that. Everything that you see came through him." You know, you want to express yourself, you use words, right? I mean, some of you parents, if you're a good parent and your kid is, is growing up and getting, getting older and older, and when they're young, they, they, they gurgle, they, they, they squawk, they, eh, you know, and, and you, you try to help them. But as they learn words, a good parent will say, hey, use your words, right? You know, the you know, teen, teenager comes up, it's like, you know, use your words, you know, the four-year-old, the five, year you old. Know, so, and, and God says, let me express myself to you in the word, the Word. Jesus is the eternal God. In John 1, 1 to 3, which Pastor Elijah read, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. He's right there in the beginning. Now, understand, in the early church and up till this very day, people get this wrong. Uh, The Jehovah's Witnesses actually Changed this verse so that it would support their theology. Saying, "Well, no, Jesus is not God. He is—he's like the first one created. He is—he came after God. You know, he didn't, you know, the word was was with God, and, and he wasn't God. But but the, John says, no, no, he is God. He created all things, and yet, and in, in as we find in verse fourteen, he becomes flesh." And he dwells among us. We're like, how could God do this? But this is the the mystery and and the wonder of what we call the incarnation. God became flesh. Jesus is the eternal God, the creator of the earth. He made it all. And it tells us that that word became flesh in the, the next part of the verse. The word became flesh literally took on an additional nature. He did not cease to be God, but in addition to being God, he became flesh. And this now is his eternal reality. Before he dwelt in the the highest heavens and the glory of heaven with the Father the Son, the Holy Spirit together and the the perfection of of all that. And suddenly God, he lays aside that that wonder of of being God's eternal son and in the glories of heaven in order to take on flesh, Because he needed, God was trying to reach out to us and say, you know, I I know it's hard to to, when when you're crossing creaturely lines to, to, to communicate, so I need to become like you in order so that you can understand who I am and what I want to communicate with you. Remember as a kid, we'd walk down to the bus stop. You know, it was like 10 miles uphill both ways, you know, blowing snow and all that. No, but it was a long way, and, and it was, right, it was in, a, by a, in a rural area. There was a fence there. There were cows there. And the one day, there was this calf, t- you know, caught up in a bunch of barbed wire. And we're sitting there watching this calf. And, and you, know, we're, we're, you know, we want to help it, but it's like freaking out, freaking out, you know. And it's like, you just wish you could speak calf to it. And we're stop it, you know. And finally, one of the older guys at the bus stop jumped the fence. And, he, you know, when he, he grabbed the calf. You know, the mum was coming close. But he, he unwrapped that wire. And he's like, man, if we just we could just communicate, just, just relax. And I'm, I'm trying to help you. And the more he helped, the, the more that calf was squirming. And finally, we got the barbed wire off. And he jumped the fence, got on the bus. And. But it was like, you know, God's like, I'm trying to communicate to you, but but you're not getting it. So I'm gonna send my my very own son, God himself, to 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 take on flesh so that you can you can hear from me directly in 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 a person that, that you can understand and identify with. The word became flesh. She became human. This baby was God and human together. Here is where heresies began in the early church, even till today. Some people are like, well, God appeared to be human, but he remained, he kept his full divinity, and he only was like this phantom human, exp- you know, or, 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 you know, like, like God entered the, the human Jesus, and then he left Jesus before he died, and there's all these weird heresies that circled around, still circling around, and John's like, let me tell you, the eternal word became flesh. He assumed and, and identified with humans fully. It's hard. Like when you talk about God, I grew up in a, in a home where, where my parents came from this rich tradition where, where they really celebrated the transcendence of God, this almighty, all-powerful, mysterious deity who, who creates and oversees all things. And then, and, then, and, then, you know, and then as you read the Gospels, you discover that there's this closeness of God, there's the imminence, like that Jesus is actually becoming flesh. He's, he's dwelling among us. And sometimes we're attracted to the transcendence. Sometimes we're attracted to the imminence. And what John says, in Jesus, they're both there together. It says that he dwelt among us. Uh, You know, he literally tabernacled among us. It's the Old Testament idea of God choosing to dwell with his people as they're moving from Egypt into the promised land and they set up the worship in in Canaan in the promised land and the land of Israel. I mean, God had this whole system of worship set up and it was this tabernacle. Build this tent and in the tent are going to be, you know, several different places, you know, to to offer sacrifices and to to pour out the blood and there'll be that holy of holies and in that holy of holies my presence will dwell with you and I'm going to lead you with this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire and you're, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to tabernacle with you. And here John says, you know, just like God in mystery dwelt with the Israelites, now in Jesus, God lives with us. He was here. He is here. In the era of missions there was a missionary named hudson taylor that went to china and of course the the chinese culture was so different from the british culture and he realized that that there was this huge barrier you know because they didn't dress you know obviously had to learn the language but even just culturally when they when they saw a foreigner there was just all automatic barrier and so hudson taylor did the unthinkable no one did this no civilized englishman did this he assumed the chinese dress big straw hat. He even grew his hair out and had like this pigtail hanging down his back. Like, can you imagine that? Eh? You know, like, you know, and, 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 but why? Cause he wanted to identify with the Chinese people. And God sends his son, Jesus into this world who assumes humanity in its full nature. And he lives with us. He dwelt among us. If you read the old leadership books. They, they call this principle MBWA, management by walking around, right? There are the leaders that never leave their ivory tower, you know, their, their nice big corner offices up on the high rise. But then there are those leaders that get down with the people and say, this is good leadership. You get in there, you, you know, Churchill during the war would go and visit the submarines and go to the airstrip and see the pilots. I mean, he was out there just rubbing, rubbing elbows with, with the soldiers. Why? Because he, he wanted them to know that, that he, he cared about what they were doing. And Jesus gets down into our world. And he takes this, the weakest place possible, the, the, a baby and he lives with us he grew up like any other peasant in Israel would have grown up unlike you know your typical you know rich kid or or nobility you know where, where you have servants and you never have to clean up your clothes and there's always someone there to help you and give you whatever you want Jesus grew up like most of you and I did humble simple you know with siblings, and, and just, it was, a, it was a normal life. He dwelt with us. And so, therefore, Jesus understands everything that you experience. Hebrews will say that. You think, oh, does God even know what I'm going through? Yeah, he gets it. And it, it's hard to fathom. Does, does Jesus really understand the grief? Yeah, he understands grief. Does, does, does he understand pain? Yeah, he understands pain. Does he understand suffering? You bet he understands suffering. So whatever you're facing today, Jesus can identify and sympathize with you in that moment. He dwelt among us. He demonstrates God's love in such a tremendous way. Jesus lived in our world. Sometimes Christians mess this up, right? We, we kind of have a double standard, right? It's like, you know, church people and, and Christians need to live this way, and the world kind of lives this way. And yes, we want to reflect God and stuff, but, but, but we're not in, inviting you to accept a cultural Christianity. We're inviting you to, to follow and believe in Jesus Christ. That's what new life's about. Some of you maybe came from a cultural Christianity, and, and you come to new life, and, and we don't really preach that because we don't believe that's, that's the truth. The truth is found in Jesus Christ. And as we follow him, yeah, we obey the word and we, we seek to be a, an accurate, you know, reflection of, of what he wants to be in our life, but we're not trying to just ascribe to a certain group of rules or, or traditions or cultural expectations that Christianity often builds up. We're like, no, we want to build our lives around Jesus Christ. And he lived a real life in a real world just like you and I do. He lived in our world. He says next that we be observed his glory, we, we saw that there was something different about Jesus. Now the truth is, not everyone saw this about Jesus. And in fact, some people will drive through our little little light show there. And they'll get to the end, and they'll think, oh, that was nice, and oh, that was good. And they're going to go on and think, oh, you know, live their life. And they're going to look at the horoscope, and they're going to read this. They're going to practice some other spirituality and find, you know, inner, inner healing from crystals or whatever else. I mean, they're going to hang up angels in their, in their house and on their, you know, dash of their car. Because they're just looking for spirituality anywhere, and they don't really understand the, the full glory of Jesus Christ. But even the gospels, John, John will point out that not everyone got it. You might think of the glory as, as at a certain point in his ministry, Jesus took the inner three up the mountain. And up on the mountain, he, he was transfigured. Like he, he shot just boom, like sh- luminous, the glory of God. There's Moses and Elijah, law and the prophets talking to Jesus and, and, and boom. But John actually doesn't tell that story. What John wants you to think about when you think about his glory is that Jesus did things that no one else could do. He's like, yeah, we're sitting at this wedding, you guys. And, and, like, it's embarrassing. Jesus' mom's, like, coming up, like, yeah, they're, they're running out of wine, you know. And, and boy, what an embarrassment. I mean, I, I'm a Ukrainian. I understand. If you run out of food at a wedding, like, boy, you might as well, you're going to be the talk of the town for the next decade about how the Nadalcos didn't have enough food for everyone, you know. So, you know, there they are. They're running out of wine. Like, this is going to be the shame of the whole community. And, and Mary's like, Jesus, can you help us? And he's like, uh, Okay. Go fill up those vessels, you know, the little hand-washing ones with water. <laughs> Just do whatever he tells you to do. Okay, fill them up. Now take it to the head guy. Okay, so they take it to him, and he tastes it. Oh, this is really good stuff. Like, why did you save the best for last? And then the disciples are like, whoa, who can do this? Only God could turn water into wine. He is in Capernaum again, and a guy comes to him and says, my son is sick. He's in a distant village. And, and Jesus is like, well, he's, he's healed. Just go back. He's, he's I've I looked after it. And, and the guy believed this. So he goes back and on the way he meets his servant. And the servant's like, oh, guess what? Your son's well. And he's like, well, how come he's well? And he's like, well, what time was he well? One o'clock yesterday. Exactly the same time that Jesus said he will be well. And the disciples are like, whoa. Who can do this? He goes, um, into Jerusalem and there's this pool full of invalids and disabled handicapped people and one guy there 38 years he hasn't been able to move or walk and and Jesus is like would you like to be made well? He's like, Yeah I would, but I can't get up. No one's helping me. Oh. Jesus is like just get up, take your mat and go home. And he gets up. 38 years and suddenly he's got ligaments and muscles and flexibility and he's walking home and the disciples are like, what kind of person is this? The glory of Jesus. There's this massive crowd there. And the disciples are like, yeah, you better send them to go find some food because there's no way we, these people are, these are, they're getting hangry. And Jesus is like, well, you feed them. Well, we got, we got five loaves and two fish. He's like, go oh, sit them down. And he prays and they start handing out food and 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 food. And the disciples are like, wait a second. At the end, they're collecting 12 baskets full of food, one for each disciple. Here is your object lesson, disciple. Look what I can do. Do you see the glory of Jesus? Later, they're in a boat. Jesus has stayed behind. They're crossing the sea. There's a storm. It's weird. It's dark. It's like ghost-like. And they're on the water. Doom, 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 doom. Someone's coming towards them. It's Jesus. They're like, who does this? Only God can do this. And they're beginning to grasp his glory. He's, uh, he meets this man that's been born blind, and he heals him. And it causes a furor in all the Jerusalem and its precincts. And, you know, there's all this big, it's a great story in John chapter 9. But they're like, like who could do this? Healing a man that has never seen before. Only God could do this. And then, of course, the, the icy on the cake in John's gospel is John 11. When Jesus doesn't come when his friend is dying and his friend dies and they wrap him up and they, you know, pounds and pounds and pounds of spices and tight wrap and they throw him in the tomb and, and they roll the stone across and like, I guess it's over and finally Jesus shows up four days later they're mourning and of course, you know, there was an idea that maybe within three days something could happen but the fourth day, like, there was no hope. He's dead. He's dead and dead. Deader than dead. He's, he's rotting. He's decomposing. It's, it's something you don't want to see. And Jesus shows up, and it's like, you know, okay, open up the tomb. Like, are you serious, Jesus? Like, it stinks. He, it's, it's not a nice thing. In a warm climate, you know, uh, you know it's decomposition is happening. There, you know, there's, it hasn't been fully embalmed like, like the Egyptians would do or whatever. But like, this is not a good thing. He's like, open it up. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And out comes that guy shuffling away, you know, stuff falling off his face. And, and the disciples are like, I've never seen anything like this before. Only God could do this. As you read the Gospels, you might see his glory. If you are really open to to saying, okay, who are you, Jesus? Who are you, God? As you read the Gospels, you might suddenly see Jesus in a light you've never seen him before. That's our hope, is that this, our little light show is kind of the, just, the, just the teaser. And that, that people will begin to look at Jesus a little more carefully after, you know, you know maybe you've invited them here. Maybe you've talked about it. Maybe they're going to watch online after they drive through our church parking lot. Who knows? But what we want is that everyone would know Jesus and his glory. In the tabernacle, the Shekinah glory would fill that holy place on the Day of Atonement. It was this cloud of light and luminescence, and, and it, it was symbolism of God accepting the sacrifice. And it, and it, was, it was mysterious and, and cloudy. And some people like have grown up in churches that have a lot of mystery to them. I mean, that was my background and my, my parents. I mean, there was mystery. There was a special part of the church that only certain people could go in and do their things in. And there, there was always this kind of separation. But in Jesus, God comes down and steps into our world. He removes the barriers, and he says, here I am look at me the word beheld observed beheld it's like to look with careful intention to figure out what's going on you know how it is You you wives you ask your husband to take a look at something right would you look at the car? It's kind of making a squeak. And he kind of goes and looks, oh, yeah, I looked at it. That's good. You know, and he doesn't actually take it out for a drive and maybe get underneath, maybe take the tire off and see what's going on there. He just kind of looks at it. Oh, yeah, you know, he's not really looking at it. He doesn't care. He wants to get back to the football game or whatever else he's doing. But, but he's like, you know, we, we really looked and we really saw and we really experienced his glory. And maybe this Christmas, this is something for you to experience his glory. Jesus revealed God to us. It says it's the glory of the one and only Son from the Father. Uh, That word, one and only, uh, the King James translated it, the only begotten. And therefore, certain groups like the Arians would say, well, G.C. Jesus was the first one born, the first one created, and, and, and he, you know, he's, he's God's first cause, you know, and, and that's, not, that's, not, that's not what John's saying. John said, no, 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 he's not, he's not created, he's not born, he, he didn't have a starting point, because in the beginning of John's gospel, it says, in the beginning, before anything was, Jesus was there. God, the word was there. He didn't have a starting point like you and I do, a, a date of birth. He has always been. But what this is describing is this unique relationship that the Father and the Son have, which will come out in John's gospel again and again and again. He is the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God. There is no one like Him. So when you talk to people and they're like, well, yeah, you got Jesus, or you got, and I got this, and, and you're, you know, my thing is just like your thing, and it's not like our thing. Your new age journey is not the same as my faith in Jesus Christ. Your ascription to cults and, and her- heretical views is not the same as my belief in Jesus, the, the eternal Son of God, who was fully human, fully divine, died on the cross, rose again. It's not the same. This is unique. It's one of a kind, and salvation comes through one path, and that is Jesus Christ. And, and John wants to say, there, He's exclusive. He doesn't share the responsibilities of salvation with anyone else or any other religion. You can't bend them together. He's one of a kind. And so while many people will do different things at Christmas, uh, if you are careful to read the scriptures, you'll see that, no, Jesus comes to us and offers himself to us as God's gift of salvation. And he does so because he has this unique relationship. And he comes from the Father. He's truly one of a kind. And it says, full of grace and truth. You know, I kind of brought my little gift boxes here. (laughs) You will receive some gifts this Christmas that you'll put in a closet or in the olive tree box <laughs> or whatever. They're not that, you know, like, and sometimes you'll buy gifts because you know I need to get something, but you don't really, haven't put a lot of thought into it, or you, you know, it's just sort of like, oh, and, and there are some people that are impossible to buy for, right? So you're like, what do I get them, right? And, and some of you were smart and you bought those Emmanuel's Child Star for them, so you can say, yeah, guess what I did? I got you a gift that's gonna go to a kid in Ukraine or, or in Moldova this year and whatever it is, right? So, but, but God gives us what we really need, He gives us His grace and it gives us truth. And those gifts come through Jesus Christ and only him full of grace and full of truth. This is exactly what we need. Um, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Um, I, I think you've all had that experience where, 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 where you didn't deserve something, but yet you also you still received something uh, Chuck Swindoll talks about, you know, one day he was his 13th birthday and his dad asked him to come weed the garden and he's like, oh, come on dad, it's my birthday, I'm not gonna weed the garden. And then his dad came in and, and, and uh, hastily <laughs> moved him out of the house into the garden. He said he weeded until the moonlight shone on the, on, on the flowers and whatever he was weeding. But then he said, then after that, we went inside, we got cleaned up and my dad took me out for a surprise supper. He gave me what I didn't deserve. That's grace. If you've ever watched that or read the movie, uh, or read the book, or watched the movie uh, *Les Misérables*, or as the, as the Americans would say, Les Miserables." In, in that movie, Jean Valjean is is this is this you know prisoner who, who has been released, and he was serving 19 years for stealing bread, and there you know he's 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 got this yellow passport which marks him as a as a convict, and and he goes to this bishop's house, uh, Monsignor Bienvenue, and he says, you know, can I have a can I can I just can you can I just have a place to sleep for the night? And so he invites him in, he feeds him, he looks after him, and in the night while they're sleeping, Jean Valjean gets up and he fills a bag full of all of the bishop's silverware. And he runs out into the street. And as he's escaping, the cops catch him. And they drag Jean Valjean back to the bishop's house with the silverware. And this is it. I mean, he's been convicted once. Now he's going in for the rest of his life. And his life is over. And there he is. And, there, and the bishop answers the door in his pajamas. And he's, you know, he's, oh, you know, this guy stole your silverware. And in the oddest moment, the bishop says, oh, he didn't steal it. I gave it to him. And by the way, you forgot the candlesticks. And he goes to the mantle and takes these silver candlesticks out and puts them into the sack. And he says to him, Jean Valjean, I have purchased your life back for you. Now use it for good. And that is a moment of grace. None of us have anything to offer to God. Nothing. Uh, Because we keep blowing it. We, we fail to, to, to live up to the standard of his glory. We have our moments where we do all right, and then we blow it. We're impatient. We, we don't forgive. We hold bitterness in our hearts. We're lazy. We're selfish. We're greedy. We're lustful. I mean, we, we, we all have moments in, in any one of these shadows where we lurk, or our hearts lurk, or our heads lurk, and, and we're like, oh, so ultimately we deserve nothing. And yet God continues to pour out to us gifts of grace and truth. I mean, that's what it means that God so loved the world that he gave. His one and only, his monergyness, his his, his unique, one of a kind son, so so that all who believe in him can have eternal life. So we can receive a gift we don't deserve. And it is a gift that keeps on giving, full of grace and truth. And in a world where it's hard to find truth, where people want to define their own truth, or or twist truth, or or, or you know make up truth, God says, "Hear His truth." And just so you get it, I you know, Jesus came to this earth so you can see, experience, learn from, and and, and walk in this truth. What do you need this Christmas? You need grace, and you need truth. You need to know that your life is standing on something firm that, that, that will carry you through the whole ups and downs that comes with it. That's truth. That's Jesus. You need the grace knowing that, yeah, when you blow it, his forgiveness is there for you. Why? Because he died on the cross. The penalty's been dealt with, and, and, and you can restore fellowship with God through confession of your sin, and God forgives you, and he, and he extends his grace to you again, and again, and again, and again. Some of you are like, I don't deserve what God's offering. None of us do. That's the beauty of the incarnation. God's saying, I know you don't deserve it, but I still want to give it. And all you have to do is receive his gift. You have to believe in Jesus Christ and you have the gift of eternal life. And John says, it is that simple. He writes this whole gospel with the purpose of that you would believe in Jesus Christ and have life in his name. That's the whole purpose of the gospel of John. Yeah, I want you just to get and understand that this is for you, not for some special class of people that do certain rituals. Like it's just faith in Jesus Christ. Who is this baby? He's Jesus. I don't know. Have you, have you experienced that? Now the other side of that is this is a wonderful gift that we can share at Christmas. With others, and not in a, in a preachy, weird, shove it down your throat way, but in a sense of like, man, I've received this, and it's changed my life. And I would just love to share with you what Jesus could do in your life if you'll let Him. He'll forgive you, He'll give you grace, He'll provide you a way to walk forward because he is truth and all the other ideas swirling around in our world jesus just wipes them all away and, and gives us a way to move forward because he is the truth he is the way and he is grace for us so i invite you if you haven't received jesus as your savior today to do so he is all these things that we encounter in John 1.14, not just a baby, not just a, you know, infant lowly and, you know, lying in a manger. He is the risen son of God. But he did all of this for us so that we could experience a relationship with God. I want to take you past the baby to experience the fullness of Jesus Christ. And that's what all of us at Christmas, even if you've known this truth for 30, 40 years, it's just something we need to reignite in our heart every Christmas. Yeah, God became human. He reached down and came into my world so that that he could help me come into his world. God's like, I want to populate heaven with as many people as I can, but I'm not forcing anyone to come there. But I'm saying, here's, here's, here's the, here, here it is. Receive my gift and enter into my kingdom and live with me forever and ever and ever. Be part of my forever family. That is the privilege that we have to celebrate at Christmas is that God invites us into that. Team, would you come up? We're going to sing a closing song. Um, I've attempted to describe something that's so deep and mysterious and wonderful. And you just need to go back to the text and read it and reread it and meditate on it. And the Holy Spirit will bring insight into your heart because, boy, I'm struggling to even do this justice because Jesus is so wonderful. But if I can just tweak you a little, your, 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 your investigative senses this morning to say, yeah, you know what? There's more to Jesus than I I know. And John's like, I want you to really experience what it means to know and believe in Jesus Christ. And he is the eternal word, the eternal son who became human and dwelt among us and, and showed us the glory of God. And we now shine that light into our world. We reflect the glory of God as we follow Jesus Christ together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. And we worship you, Jesus Christ, the word the one who became flesh. And in our life, we have troubles and difficulties. And even this week, some some of the people in this room and watching online are are facing hardship, challenges, difficulties, internally, externally. And you are more than capable of helping us through that. And so I pray for your comforting presence. I pray that those that don't believe in you would believe in you today and find the, the gift of salvation and the forgiveness of their sins. And help us, Lord, this Christmas to share the truth of Jesus where we work, where we go to school, where we play, where we shop. May your glory be reflected in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with the team?